was written way later, somewhere perhaps around 85 A.D. Think about that. It means John had some time to think about the words and the ministry of Jesus. And when you look at the Gospel of John, you can tell right off the bat it's very different, isn't it? Very different than the other Gospels. Matthew's got this whole Jewish vibe going on, genealogies and a lot of law stuff in there. And uh, Luke, oh my goodness, Luke is, he's like chronological, in order, precise. Mark seems like he's in a hurry. Right? Immediately, immediately, you see this word all throughout Mark. He just gets, he, he blows through the whole first part of Jesus' life and camps out in the passion, in the, the death of Jesus on the cross. But John, it begins with poetry. He starts with the very creation of the world. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. And he just goes on for 15, 16 verses, and he eventually tells us that the word became flesh. The word dwelt among us. John said, we beheld his glory. So why is John written? I think it's helpful, isn't it, when we study a book, if we know the purpose and we can see this. If you'll look at John chapter 20, it's at the end of his book. He gives his purpose at the end. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. He tells us this in verse 30. He says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, these referring to the signs, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Now, for us Westerners, we need to understand that's not a last name, is it? Christ is not like Arthur is to David. Christ is a title, a Messiah, Meshuach in the Hebrew, the, the anointed one, the appointed one, the one that's going to bring rescue for the entire world. John says, I've been thinking about these signs. Of course, we know the Holy Spirit inspired him. And these signs are for you, that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, is the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for. Look what else he says about in his purpose. He says that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, believing what? Believing that Jesus is the Christ, believing that Jesus is the Son of God, that by believing that you may have life in his name. That's why John has written the Gospel of John. No obscurity here. We know he's got an agenda, right? We now know he's got a reason. He's got a purpose for writing. And so as we study through John, we want to look for those signs, don't we? We want to see how do those signs achieve the purpose of believing that Jesus is the Christ. Well, in John chapter 6, we'll look at John chapter 6. And, and uh, Daniel emailed me over the weekend and said, Hey, can you give me the specific verses that you're going to be reaching? I said, this may be a challenge, bro. Uh, I got a lot. Um, my last name is Arthur. We don't know how to preach one or two verses. Um, so I'm going to read it to you first. So we're going to look at John chapter 6. So we're going to pick it up uh, in verse uh, 22. 
Uh, and just to give you a heads up, what has happened uh, before this, Jesus uh, has done the miracle of feeding 5,000 men plus whoever's with him, maybe 15, 20,000 people, with five loaves of barley and two fish. Um, a miraculous sign. Okay, these are one of those signs that, that John said he's going to write about. Uh, so he's just done that. Uh, he's just also walked <laughs> on the Sea of Galilee, uh, surprising the disciples in the boat. Ah, don't be afraid, it's me. He gets in the boat. Immediately the boat gets to its destination. This has all happened already in chapter 6. So let's pick it up in verse 22. This is God's word. John tells us, on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. All right, a little clue there how Jesus got there. Verse 23, other boats from Tiberias came near in the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the, Lord's, when the crowd excuse me, saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Now, if you were to look at a map of the Sea of Galilee, you've got Tiberias kind of here on the southwest side. Capernaum is not on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, but it's up around the corner. So it is, would be like crossing the sea. So they are now heading their way to Capernaum. Verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to Jesus, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them. This is going to be one of four truly, truly statements. Uh, all right? it's, in the Greek, it's amen, amen, or amen, amen. It's a, it's a profound statement. There's four of them in this chapter. See if you can find them. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Right? So he's referring to that miraculous feeding he did just earlier. So he says to them in verse 27, I think this is going to be the point of the text. I think everything is going to kind of unpack from here. But he says this in 27, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Okay, see, they're kind of twisting what he says. They're already looking for it. I don't know if this is like a, a self-bent-in, i got to deserve my righteousness thing we're just kind of born with, but they're automatically going there. And look how he answers them in 29. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in whom he has sent. So they said to him, what, <laughs> this question makes me laugh every time, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Oh, come on, that's funny, right? I mean, that, I don't know if Jesus is trying to be funny, but I mean, they're trying to be funny here, but they just got fed 5,000. That's why they're following Jesus. Now they want another sign. Look at their reasoning in verse 31. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. 
Uh, it's right out of Psalm 78, uh, grain of heaven, the bread of heaven. Jesus in verse 32 says to them, truly, truly, here's our second one. I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he. Interesting is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to this world. They said to him, good response, Sir, give us this bread always. Right? You with them? So Jesus responds to this request in verse 35 by saying, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I, Jesus says, have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And Jesus says this, and I will raise him up on the last day. Can you picture being in this crowd? And you have heard, or maybe you were there, and you saw thousands of people eat, and not just take a little bit now, we've got to save some for everybody, but there were 12 baskets of leftovers. John tells us everyone ate to satisfaction. Now this one who fed us is now saying he's the bread. And this bread gives life eternal. Can you feel it? Can you sense it? Like something has shifted in the dynamics. We were going, and Jesus right, we were going to get bread. We were going to get our fill. But what he's offering is so different. So much better, isn't it? So the, but not everybody agrees. Look at verse 41. We have some opposition. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They, they didn't miss that. They heard that. Jesus is claiming to be the manna, to be the bread that rained down from heaven. Jesus is making a bold assertion. They said, and they're using their logic, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? whose father and mother we know, how does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them in 43, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, Except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. That he is Jesus. Okay, 
So we get to verse 47 and hear yet another amen, amen, another truly, truly. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world, here it goes, the story's about to change, is my flesh. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, all right, here's our fourth one. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. All right, I know it's Sunday morning. I know you're in your routine. You got dressed. You, you had your, your special Sunday morning pancake breakfast. Probably not. You probably ate a quick yogurt on the way here. But anyway, so you've got your routine, and you're here, and you're, you're hearing God's word. I want you to hear it again fresh. Jesus says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Can I get an amen? amen. Okay, that's, not, that's kind of a Presbyterian amen. And rightfully so, because, y'all, that's strange, isn't it? Well, Jesus is going to explain it in the verses to follow. Look at 54. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Here's why. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As a living father sent me and I live because of the father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died, for whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Now Jesus taught these things in the synagogue as he taught them in Capernaum. All right, that's a bunch of texts. I got 17 points. No, just kidding. It's real simple. But let me just remind you what we're here for. We're here to understand what God's purpose is for us in the gospel of John. I don't want you to check out if you're already believers saying, oh, I know this stuff. This is for non-believers to become believers. I think there's some really good stuff for you and I as believers, as followers in Christ. But if you're not a believer, welcome. Listen carefully and let's talk about what we see Jesus uh, declaring here. Now, these are the first of seven I am statements. And you remember the I am statements. It's what God told Moses to tell the people when he said, what name shall I give? 
as I go to tell them we're leaving Egypt, the great exodus, and God says, you tell them I am. It's a Hebrew word, uh, Yahweh, it means to be. It's a very interesting Hebrew word, to exist. Jesus is taking up that deity, that name of God, and he's claiming it for himself. Over the next several chapters in John, this being the first one, I am the bread of life. Barna reports, uh, George Barna, I don't know if you're familiar with their research group, fantastic group. We've used them at Precept. They're just wonderful. But they've done some research, and they say, believe it or not, 92% of Americans believe that Jesus was a real man. Wow. That's a lot. But only 62% claim to make a personal commitment to Jesus. Pretty big gap between 92 and 62. You might be feeling good about 62, uh, but of the 62, another 10 points down comes the millennials. The millennials are going to be most of us real soon. And, and all the stats that are read through Barna, the millennials are tracking the boomers by 10% in the wrong direction. There's a problem with believing in Jesus. David Kinneman, the CEO of Barna, says this, Jesus is, quote, a friend of sinners, but many millennials are unfriending Jesus. And they're doing it at a time when their life and their trajectory is being shaped and formed. Brothers and sisters, we have a crisis in America. And the crisis is people are not truly believing in Jesus. Now, before that kicks off some huge campaign where you're going to start knocking on every door, this massive subdivision I drove by here, uh, before you start working your way down every door and asking people to pray a prayer and to follow you, I mean, to follow Jesus, uh, understand this. I, I just finished uh, the, the biography of Dawson Trotman. He's the, the founder of the Navigators. You're familiar with the Navigators? Phenomenal discipleship ministry. Billy Graham, about the same time, so they're both in their, in their younger days, Billy Graham says to Dawson Trotman, they had partnered together, and he said, you know what, 5% of the deals what I do, 95% of what you do is what matters. Them getting to come down front in a crusade is only 5% of the equation. It's that really believing that starts the day they become a believer and goes on until they see him face to face. Now, there is a crisis. So what do we want, uh, what do we want to see with our culture? So let's look back at the text, and there's just really three key words, key repeated phrases. Sorry, I'm a preceptor. We mark our Bibles with colored pencils. We're a little weird like that. We make lists. Um, but there's three key, and there's a bunch we can see in this text, but I just want to show you three things. First one's going to be comes down. Look at verse 30. This phrase comes down. And so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? They asked Jesus, and he says, they say, our fathers ate the man in the wilderness. As is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. And here it is, verse 33. 
For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Uh, You see it repeated in verse 38. Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. Jesus is the bread of life that comes down from heaven. All right, what can we take from that? Well, we can see that salvation, this is so important, salvation is given, not grown. Salvation is something that comes down to us, not something that we build up to God. Do you you feel the difference? Salvation is not meeting Jesus halfway. Is that clear? We don't put in our effort and he puts in our effort and somewhere in the middle we come to an agreement. Salvation comes to us from the Father. The second key phrase, this key word, is the, almost the opposite of that. It comes to me. Look at verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. This comes to me uh, is, the, is the other angle. It's kind of like a coin. You can look at one side of the coin and see Right, the, uh, the, the, the presidential symbol or whatever. I don't even know what's on the coin anymore. The other side, you got some guy's face, right? So you, 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 you see, it's the same coin, but there's two sides to it. So one side of it, we see that salvation comes to us, but when we flip the coin over, we see that we come to him. Now, the Presbyterian, hardcore Presbyterians in the room are really rooting for one side of the coin, and us closet Baptist Arminius are on the other side rooting for that side of the coin, right? And there's going to be a great debate at lunch today as y'all start to pound. Great, go for it. But let me just tell you, it's the same coin. Salvation comes to us. It is given, not grown. But salvation is also aware of us coming to Christ. Now, here's something very simple to take from that. You can't Stay where you are if you're going to believe in Jesus. Jesus is not something we simply add to our repertoire, to our resume. Jesus calls us to leave where we are and go to him. Um, That's huge. Um, That's what it means to come to him. To come to him means that change will occur. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and there's no change in your life, I would encourage you to go back and look, do you truly believe in Jesus? And if your answer is, yes, I prayed a prayer way back when, with mom and dad on the sofa, that's my indicator of salvation. John has an entire book to help you think that through. It's called 1 John. He tells us in 5.13 that he wrote that book so that you may know that you have eternal life. 
So all you got to do is read 1 John and say, how do I know I have eternal life? And there's a fantastic list. Go check it. All you got to do is mark the word no, K-N-O-W, make a list, and you've got it. And guess what's missing? A prayer, a decision, a commitment, a feeling, a movement of your heart. None of that's in there for assurance for your salvation. So, if we're going to come to him, there will be change. Um, do you believe? All right, the third and last one is my favorite. This is in verses 47 to 51. It's the word eat or ate. Uh, also feeds. He says again, 47, uh, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, speaking of himself, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread, Jesus says, that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, what in the world is he talking about? Uh, he's, he's grabbing the manna story. He's grabbing the request for a sign that refers to the manna. And he's saying, I am the manna. I'm the manna that matters. I am the living bread. But the living bread must be eaten. Uh, look how he describes it uh, over here in this, uh, in this second section. He talks about it in verse 54. Whoever feeds on my flesh. So it's not just a eat one time and you've got it. There's this present tense, ongoing sense of this eating that I'm to feed on his flesh. Um, verse 57, 56, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, he defines it this way. He said, he abides in me. So don't be silly. This is not cannibalism. This is not, you know, and some commentators kind of want to go down that path. I, I, you don't get the sense. This is, he's gone off his rocker and said, you need to cut me up and eat me, right? Like a cannibal. No, this is not that at all. He's describing eating and feeding as abiding. My mind jumped immediately to John 15. John 15, verse 5, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branch. You remember this? He's teaching them, and he says, if you don't abide in me, you can't do anything. But if you do abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. That abiding, it's this Greek word meno. It, it gives you the idea of remaining. There's a steadfastness to it. It has a, a, a spatial identity to it, so like a residence. So this is where I may know. I may know up on Lookout Mountain. That's my mayno. Right? I want to go home. I go to my mayno. Jesus says, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you may know, you abide, you remain, you dwell in me. And then he flips it. Did you notice that? And I in you. How does that work? How can you abide in something and then that something abides in you? I don't know. But Jesus said it. And there's some kind of really interesting connection that when we feed on him, he 
lives and dwells in us. You've heard that phrase, you are what you eat. <laughs> I think it applies here. I, had, I looked it up. I Googled it. If some French guy tried to pronounce his name, but I would embarrass myself. But he was a doctor, I think. And he says, tell me what you eat and I'll tell you, what you who you are. And you know the logic behind that. If you put junk food in, you should expect a junk body, right? You put good, healthy food in, in the right portions, you should expect a good body, right? Our cells take what you eat and they, they absorb it. And I don't know the science. It, I looked it up. It's this, some word it ends in cytosis. They go so cytosis or something like that. But this idea of, of consuming, it changes. The cell's DNA changes by what it eats. We, too, change when we feed on Christ. You can't help it but have your mind and your spirit and your perspective and your, your values shift when you feed on Jesus. Would you like better perspective on life? Would you like a better understanding and grasp of what you're going through in life, Jesus would say, feed on me. Um, so, to be true to my outline, observation, interpretation, application. So observation, what have we observed? We've observed that Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life from heaven. Jesus is the bread of life from heaven that gives life eternal. We are to believe in Jesus. We are to feed upon Jesus. The interpretation is simply this. True life is only found in Jesus. That's not a real popular way to talk these days. You do you, is what I hear. Your truth is your truth. I've got my truth. I'm here to proclaim from my tippy toes that there is no life outside of Jesus. Only in Jesus is found. So if that's true, then we need to be aware of the counterfeits. Counterfeits have a way of sneaking in, don't they? If my grandkids, I've got one, he's a little tiny fellow, my grandkids stay healthy and safe and at least go to church, I'm going to be okay. Anybody feel like that? Shoot, now you just want to say, if my grandkids will just stay in the gender that God made them, right? Or my grandkids just don't go to prison for murder. If my grandkids, right, whatever it may be, if my, if my wife will never leave me, if my health stays with me, if my mind stays good, then I'm okay. Y'all, those can become counterfeit. Paul would list a whole list of things that were amazing. And he says, you know what? I count it all loss. Why? Because I compare it to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It doesn't get any better. So what do we do with it? What's the application? I want you to think about this. These are questions I really, I don't want this to be a Christianese feel. I really want you to think about this. The first question is, are you feeding on Jesus? Okay, it'd be easier if I said, are you feeding on hot wings on Super Bowl Sunday? You know what I mean, 
right? It's not, oh, I had a bite of a wing and I put it away. No, what do you do? Or popcorn at the movie, right? You're going to go see some great movie you've been waiting for. it. You got the huge big bucket of buttered popcorn. You're not just going to have one and put the bucket aside. That would be crazy. Are you feeding on Jesus? Some ways to know. Uh, a real easy way. Uh, what's your time like in the Word? Are you reading the daily crumb? I mean, the daily bread? Are you reading just a snippet of a verse and a little cute saying goes around it and go, yep, I fed on Jesus today? I don't think that's what it means. Jesus would say, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father. The author of Hebrews would say, it is living, it is active. Are you feeding on Jesus? Another question, maybe, to follow up to that is, or are you simply adding Jesus to your diet? <laughs> this is when the preacher gets convicted. I get paid to study the Bible. I get paid to write Bible studies. Y'all, but there have been times in my, in my life or in my path where I've drifted down into ruts and I sprinkled a little, little bit of Jesus in my life. Like paprika on some chicken. I just, it's good. It helps. Jesus is not saying you can add me to your life. You can add me to your diet. Jesus says, I am your life. So the ultimate question is, do you believe in Jesus? And I think the way we can get to that, and I would love for you all to take some time today and to think and to pray through, maybe even journal on this question, Lord, help me in my journey. Am I believing in you? And I'm not asking you to say, now list all the things you're doing for Jesus. I don't think that's part of it. I think it's where are you going to find life? If you're going to your reputation for your life, if you're going for your respect, if you're going for honor, that people recognize you and admire you, that could be a counterfeit. If you're going towards the way you look and the way you appear and your, your performance, that too could be a counterfeit. If you're looking for substances to numb the pain in your life, if you're looking for, for Netflix to, to drown out and just binge for hours and hours to drown out the pain that you can't deal with, that could be a counterfeit. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Do you believe? Think about it. Talk to the Lord about it. Um, I think it's for believers. I don't think this is an evangelism sermon. I think this is for you and me. Do we believe? Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much, Lord, for um, just the real way you talk to us in the Gospel of John. Lord, thank you for um, poking, uh, Lord, uh, the tender parts of our lives, Lord, that we like to protect. Thank you, Lord, for promising us that you, Father, you draw us, you draw us to Jesus. Jesus guarantees that he will raise us up on the last day. Lord, that's, that's not just 
the future that starts even today as I understand it. So Lord, please take the words of this text. Um, have your way with us with these words. Lord, uh, find your target uh, within our hearts and our souls and our minds and our lives. We ask this with great expectation and hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.